Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. Enjoy this. These guys are extremely informative. I love their dialogue. I love their interpretation of the songs, who and what we are, what we were going after. They're very uh, accurate in their uh, interpretations and descriptions. And uh, just I just think this is a great show. And these guys are doing a, a stand-up stellar job. So once again, enjoy Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I'm your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, and TalkingIntoInfinity.com. We are not on the CMSNetwork.com tonight because the CMS Network got a content strike, so God forbid we go live on their YouTube page. But anyway, thanks, YouTube, for that one. Anyhow, we are live at Normally, four locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you would like to catch video replays of the show, just go to our Facebook and YouTube pages and usually the CMS Networks page. If you'd like to catch audio replays of the show, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast, and we are pretty much on any platform that you can think of. So, uh as you could tell, the background is a little Van Halen-centric tonight, and there's a very good reason for that. So Brian is off. He is playing a playoff game with his street hockey team. So, yeah, Brian plays street hockey. Uh, he's not very good. He is about 64 years old, and he moves like it and plays like it. But, you know, everybody's everybody's got their vices. That happens to be one of his. So anyway, uh, Brian is off playing street hockey. So I brought a guest host on with me tonight and he's actually a longtime friend of mine uh we both have played in the cleveland music scene for god 25 years plus or something and we, we talk van halen a lot online and stuff when we see each other we see each other a lot of shows he's a big dream theater guy mike portnoy and all that and a couple weeks ago he made a facebook post that said well i'm you know i'm digging into van halen too and i'm not i'm not really familiar with half of these songs and i went what the hell are you talking about <laughs> so like so i was messaging him like what what do you mean you and he said i i'm not really overly familiar with the roth catalog and i was like we've been talking van halen for years i never knew that so he recently went down the van halen rabbit hole and he really just really started digging into the roth era for the first time you know in depth so i thought it'd be a good thing to discuss because you know, those records, you know, there's seven of the Roth era records, obviously different kind of truth was 2012. But prior to that, you know, the last one that came out was obviously 1984. So it's not very often you get a kind of a fresh perspective on records of that age, especially records of that quality. So I thought I would bring him on without further ado. My very good friend, Mr. George Gomez. What's up, man? Hey, dude, what's up? Not too much, man. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I know, uh, I had asked you if you would come on the show and do this with me at some point, and it happened to be a couple days ago. Like, uh, some point is in two days. <laughs> so, no, that works, dude. Totally works. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so as I said, you and I have, you know, uh, we've been buddies for, God, 
20 plus years or whatever playing you know on, on in all the different venues in cleveland here and stuff but we've also talked a lot of van halen and dream theater and things like that so we got a lot of you know musical interests in common so um before we dig into the raw stuff what was your introduction to van halen period you know what funny story it, it would be 1984 um i think i got the tape because my my parents were split at the time but my dad had ordered from columbia house you know this <laughs> you know send in a penny and get you know so we had gotten a shipment from columbia house at our apartment and i was itching to open it and i was like man well, i wonder what's in here i wonder what's in here so i told my brother hey take this box go in the room lock the door and i'll act like I, I couldn't get it away from you so we can see what's in the box you know totally set my brother up he runs into the room he starts opening the box and i'm banging on the door like hey you know what are you doing you know and <laughs> right and i want to say that one of the tapes that was in there was 1984 so my intro to van halen was 1984 i remember uh being at my dad's uh it was nighttime and i i popped the tape into my cassette deck and you know just that that initial that initial track you hear the synths kicking and i just i had like goosebumps i'm like oh what is this yeah so that that was my intro was 1984 so i mean that was you know out of all the albums that's the one i'm most familiar with because that was the first Van Halen album I've ever heard. Man, so that it's it's again, you know, we got we got stuff in common because that's you know that's my first introduction to the band as well. You know, I've told the story a lot on the show that you know that was the album that I discovered rock music on, and so for me, it's like you know not only one of my favorites, but it's not only introduction to Van Halen, but it's really my introduction to music. So it's literally the most influential record of my entire life. So um, just an absolute beast of an, of an album, as we'll get into here in a little bit. But um, so, you know, to, to set up a little bit more of the background here. So you've been a fan for a long time. But like I said, you, you posted that post about Van Halen 2 a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and mentioned that you really had never gotten into the raw stuff, really weren't familiar with it like you were with the Sammy stuff. So how did you go all these years of being a Van Halen fan <laughs> and not going back and getting into like you know half the catalog you know for the longest time whenever i got into a band it was whatever was out and then i would go forward with it and i never really went backwards to see where it came from it wasn't so like the last few years where i would do a deep dive like i know i uh, was it last year or year before that i did that with rush okay. i just started at the start went through all the you know went through the whole catalog so i you know i don't know i was the same way with metallica my intro to metallica was injustice or actually, no. It was actually it was it was it was Master of Puppets, but the first Metallica album I owned was was Justice. Okay. You know, and then I and then I slowly went backwards, but I don't know. I just I knew a lot of the hits, and then when I went backwards with this Van Halen catalog, I realized I knew Van Halen one. I knew everything off of that, but after that, you know, it was bits and pieces, but it was like all the hits, the stuff that you would hear on the radio or whatever. Like I think the first time I heard Everybody Wants Some was on I forget what movie it was. They had this little animated hamburger. Better off dead. I wasn't sure if it was better off dead or one crazy summer, but that <laughs> yeah. was the first time I heard that song. Okay. You know, and I was like, oh shit, you know, but yeah. And I just I, you know, um, so yeah, Van Halen 2 had like, okay, you know, Women and Children First was, was the same thing. I would I out of the Roth era, I would say the one that I was the most unfamiliar with would be Fair Warning. Okay. You know, I think I knew like maybe two songs on there, you know. Okay. But yeah, Van so, Halen 1, I realized, yeah, that one I knew just, I pretty much knew everything on Van Halen 1, but after that, it was little bits and pieces out of every album up, you know, up until 1984. Okay. Well, so our, our good buddy Kale has a question for you right off the rip. 
He says, so if you aren't overly familiar with the DLR material, does Top of the World expertly reusing the jump intro still hit the same for you? Now, are you familiar with that factoid? No. So, yeah, the um, the main riff to uh, Top of the World is actually the out is actually the outro riff to jump. So okay. if you listen to the outro, it's like din 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 din. So it does it like one time through, and then that's what he used as the basis for uh, Top of the World. Oh wow! Okay. See, yeah. little thing, little so things just, you learn tonight, man. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm a fan, but I'm not like a super, super fan. I mean, I love Van Halen, but yeah, that these are the things I'm like, oh no shit, okay, yeah, yeah. That's now, now that you pointed out, I'm like, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Next time you listen to Jump, you'd be like, holy crap, that's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> Robert Hustad, good to see you, man. It says 1984 is one of the best Van Halen albums. I would completely agree. Uh, one, one of the, one of these times, we should just rank the rank the Van Halen albums. It'd be interesting to see where, I mean, obviously Van Halen three is going to be everyone's last place, but <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That I don't know album that. Got, that. That album got shit on so bad and it's really not a bad album. It, uh, dude, I, I don't mind it. And I, I, it just, I, I think it hasn't aged well. Cause when it came out, I, you know, I, I liked it. I was like, okay, this is cool. And I caught a lot of crap for it. And as I've gone back to it over the years, I'm kind of like, it's not aging as well as some of the other stuff, you know? So, uh, Johan Alexanderson, good to see you, man. He says, 5150 is my favorite. That is an excellent choice. I, I don't think you can really go wrong with any of the records. I mean, e even if you're going to say Van Halen 3, you know, I mean, H Hendrickson may... Hendrickson may try and crush a different kind of truth, but he would be wrong. Right. So I mean, if anything, I would think you know, Diver Down was a, a pretty fluff album because it was, you know, pretty much covers. But after watching that documentary, I realized why it was you know why they went that yeah. route. Yeah, it's dude. Eddie always said about that one. He said, "I'd rather bomb with my own music." than you know be successful with somebody else's and it's, I mean, it's not wrong i mean there's you know five covers on that on that damn record so right um so all right so so let's let's just go through the you know the chronology here of, of the of the roth records and kind of get your get your take you know obviously you know you said you are most familiar with uh van halen one so we'll start there and then we'll really get into the ones that you you don't have a lot of you know familiarity with so obviously obviously van halen one not being your first in introduction to the band, mm -hmm. what, what did you what did you think? Because it, it's, it's it kind of worked that way for me too. Because I I don't remember what the second record I got. I, I well I know it was I got 1984 and then it was and it was 5150 because it came out you know shortly after. But then I really started being able to buy my own music at that time, and Van Halen one was one of the first ones. Mm -hmm. So. What were your initial impressions of Van Halen One? Because obviously that record is known to fans as like, especially the older generation. You know, they're they're kind of like, you know, to them that's like the holy grail. That was their first introduction to the band. It was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you know, for people like you and I, we came into it, you know, with a different perspective. We had heard later stuff. So, what were your initial thoughts on Van Halen One? Now, like the first time I heard it, or on the revisit, either time, either time. Um, I couldn't tell you on the on the initial, but on the revisit, um, and I, 
when I revisited, I decided, you know, I'm going to listen to these these albums. But I'm going to listen to them with with a good you know set of headphones on, you know, so okay. I can really hear what was going on in the mix and everything. And that's when I realized, like, wow, I'm like different approach, you know, where they had Eddie on the left hand side, you know, and his souls were coming on the right hand side, unless he had no rhythm tracks going, then he was on the left-hand side. So I was noticing little audio things. I have always loved going back and listening to albums like on headset, you know, on a good set of headphones, because then you can hear all the little nuggets and, and ear candy, as my buddy would call it, you know, in the mix. Stuff that you won't hear if you're driving in the car because you got the ambient noise or in the house with the stereo because you've got ambient noise going on. So to hear how mm -hmm. they mixed it and the little things that they played with fading things back and forth. So, yeah, but I mean... I mean, it's a great album. It's got, I mean, all the songs, I love all the songs that are on that album, you know, because I go, yeah. I go back to that and I realize I'm like, yeah, no, I'm like, yeah, I, I remember all these songs, you know. It's, it's weird with that one because it, I, I think, I think for me, I don't go back to that one a lot, not because of quality, but I think it's like everything just gets played to death. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't need to hear Jamie's crying again. I definitely don't need to hear running with the devil or, you know, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. And so, but yeah, I mean, you're so right about the quality. And I think one thing that always strikes me about that record is when, when, you know, first of all, it's a fantastic record. Obviously, that goes without saying it's like one of the greatest debut albums in, in rock history, if not music history. But when you really dig into like the making of it and, and some of the behind the scenes, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible what went into that thing, you know, considering how raw the band really was. It was really just a bunch of kids getting in there and ripping. They've never, you know barely any studio experience you know eddie van halen didn't want to do overdubs and that record has such an incredible energy to it and you know you mentioned listening in headphones i like to do it that way too and i like you can hear just the all the little imperfections and it just totally makes it and there's such man oh man there is such an energy to that one don't you think i mean it's it's oh. they, they were never able to replicate it i don't think right you know and that's you know this is we're talking about days before pro tools you know and I'm not sure if they did live recordings. I've always been a fan of recording live and not piecing it together. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I just, I, you know, I just love hearing, you know, that natural sound in there. You know, nothing's been, you know, no sound replacements. You know, that's all him. You know, when it comes to like, you know, Alex, you know, it's like uh, that's all mic'd and that's him. You know, it's that live drum sound that's not, you know, before he started getting into the electronics and the triggers and, and all that. Yep. Yeah, it's the the tones on that one are just unbelievable um you know yeah T todd gatchel he, he he nails it he says you know they were live one or two takes yeah i mean it was they were such an immediate band but i mean they were so tight that they didn't need a ton of takes i mean the only thing that was glued together were ross vocal takes like you know if, if you read tent uh ted i always i always pronounce that name right because it's like ten definitely like but Ted Templeman, uh, if you read his book, and he, he talks a lot about tracking Roth and the fact that, you know, he was not a very good singer, which, I mean, we all know that. I mean, whatever your feelings on the Roth stuff is. Um, but they, he said that they really had to get a whole bunch of takes and, you know, splice them together to get one composite vocal take because he just wasn't a one trick, a one take guy. And so that that to me was pretty interesting, and it's like th that's one of the interesting factoids you know about the early years of the band is that you know Ted admits that they had discussions about getting Sammy Hagar and Van Halen back in '77 because he was a great singer and Roth was not, and yeah. then Ted later says that it was a really good move on, on on his part not to make that move because he doesn't think Van Halen would have be become what it was without Roth. 
and I I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, where, where I, I I believe me, I I love all of it. I I have the slightest preference for the Sammy era stuff. I'm a big Sammy guy, but I think I would agree with that opinion because I I just think that as much as Dave's shtick gets old, I think it was necessary, and a, a, you know. And I, I don't th- even, even though musically they would have been better right out of the gate had Sammy been the vocalist, I don't think they would have achieved all the stuff that they achieved had he been the vocalist right off the bat. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you got to think. I mean, a lot of the bands, you know, they you know they evolve so they don't stay stale and stagnant. Some bands just have that same sound. And they just keep it where some bands you can tell there's an evolution there. You know, with the sound, with everything else. I know I I've liked every era of Van Halen. You know, and but when I went back to revisit, I I come to realize I'm like, you know, Roth, great frontman because he's he's a showman, he's a lunatic, yeah, you know, but he he's a great showman. But it what, but after going back through and all seeing all this, it's like you know what you go I go Roth like that. He to me he gives off like a, I'm a lounge singer that wants to be a rock star, vibe. You know, because he's got that hey, you know. You can you can you can kind of see him being in a lounge, you know, telling, "Hey, you know, tip your weight staff," and you know, and just seeing all <laughs> right. the you know, goofy little covers and sitting around smoking a cigarette with you know with you know with a, you know with a glass of something in his hands, you know. But yeah, yeah. So Johan Alexanderson brings something up. He corrected himself, you know, in another comment, but he he brings something up that I kind of want to discuss real quick before we hit Van Halen too. He says, "Ain't talking about love intro." Might be the best moment in the history of electric guitar. He later corrected himself and said eruption, of course. But I, th- this might be like a very controversial take. I I was never a big fan of Ain't Talking About Love, even from the beginning. I just and I get it. It was like the and it's it's there. There Eddie was trying to make fun of punk tunes when he wrote it. <laughs> but to me, it's just like I mean, it's cool. And I, I, I honestly, for the, for me, that one's not just because I've heard it a million times, I've sang it a million times. Like, I've just never been the biggest fan of that song. And I mean, it's good, but I, I like all the rest of the stuff on that album better. I mean, I literally take any song on Van Halen one over ain't talking about love i mean are you are you a big fan of that song like pretty much the entire van halen no, universe is yeah no I, I i dig that song it's it's kind of anthemic you know i mean people hear that you know they, and they're gonna yeah. react to it you know i i wonder if it is just the fact that I've, I've i've played it and heard it so many times like but i remember when i first got the record i was like okay well all right that's cool but it's not atomic punk you know it's not i'm the one it's it's <laughs> right. you know it's not on fire so um you know, I mean, other people might bring up Little Dreamer, but I think Little Dreamer is cool as hell because it's a very dark kind of, you know, weird moment on that album. You know, that album's very ebullient and upbeat and everything. And then you got Little Dreamer. It's like, yeah, that's a little depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, who man. Yeah. Johan says, yeah, he says, love the song, but the intro is 1000 times better than the rest of the song. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll say I like the intro because I can actually play it. One of the very few Van Halen things I can play on guitar. <laughs> so, um, so, all right. So moving on, we have Van Halen 2. And this is basically what started this whole thing for you a couple weeks ago. So um, mm-hmm. talk talk a little bit about that and like the realization as you're going through this album. Like, did you just pop in Van Halen 2 on the fly? Like, oh, I haven't heard this in a bit. Or how did, how did this all start with Van Halen 2 for you a couple weeks ago? Well, I don't know. I just, I kind of, you know, I was just, I, I, Wanted just to go through every once in a while. I just I get an itch to like, you know, to just go through the catalog in chronological order. 
Okay. Skipping any kind of like compilations or live albums. I just want to hear the studio stuff. Okay. So I don't know. Something I just it was just like, you know what, I'm gonna go through the Van Halen stuff because you know, I I don't know what made me want to do it, but I just on a whim just said, Hey, let me let me go through the Van Halen stuff. Let me see what I did know, what I don't know. Because I knew there was a few albums, you know, that I, I mean that I don't own. Okay. You know, so I'm like, Yeah, let me go through it. And I know I didn't have it, so then I just went on Spotify. Anything that I didn't have, I'm just like, Well, I'll just go on Spotify because I'll have them set in order and I'll just go through even though i i went out of order for for one one album just because yeah. i was kind of you know i was got on the road i'm like all right let me just next album and then i skipped yeah but yeah <laughs> so what, what having gone through it with headphones now and kind of rediscovered it as it were like what what are your what are your thoughts on van halen too um i mean i could tell you know, same same thing was going on they kept with the whole you know keeping eddie on the left you know and all that yeah i mean mm-hmm. you know but it's just like and i actually i went back through the catalog today just the just the raw stuff, okay. Just to go, just to give it a second listen before you know I came on with. So I went through everything, including the late the latest one. I just went just all Roth era stuff. Just to, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm like, let me just, I'm gonna listen to it one more time, just see if there's anything I missed, you know. But yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot on there that I, I realized. I'm like, wow, I didn't I didn't know these songs until I decided to go back through. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I you know I knew Dance the Night Away. I mean, everybody just knows that, you know. Yeah. Um, and then beautiful girls. I knew that one. Yeah, I, I to me this record is like, I, this is this is going to be a terrible analogy, but it's, but it's the one that comes to mind first. But and I hate these albums, but to me it's almost like, you know, a load and reload situation, okay. where they they wrote a ton of songs and put the better ones on the first one and saved the sec, you know, the rest of them for the second one. And in a and that's kind of what Van Halen too was. It was, you know, they wrote a bunch of songs for the first record, and then they they had a whole bunch of stuff written, and and they basically the, the ones that were most complete, you know, the ones they chose from. But but uh, Ted Templeman, he cherry picked the best ones for the first record. So Van Halen too is really kind of like what was left over. I would say is a good way mm-hmm. to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, which, which to me is amazing because that record is like damn near as good as, as the first one so i mean it's just to have that can you imagine like like dude you know you've written songs and stuff we, we've done the original band thing you and i can you imagine have it, like when you're in your like late teens early 20s writing a pile of stuff that's so good that you can come back and use it for basically like what equates into like i'd say three and a half albums worth of stuff over six records and just build this i mean could you imagine having like like having to oh you got to have a third album ah crap let me pull out these other two songs we didn't use and they're like huge to the world like could you imagine that right you sat on yeah i just i can't that always blows my mind and it's you know we'll get to this later but you know with a different kind of truth the main complaint that people have is like oh it's you know a bunch of old stuff like yeah but did you notice how good the old stuff was for fuck's sake like i mean it was like <laughs> it was amazing why wouldn't you do it if you haven't used it so um yeah when we get yeah. to that, yeah, I, I i have my thoughts on on that but when we get to that i'll yeah yeah i actually i actually went uh, like obviously I'm, I'm really familiar with the with the original raw stuff but for some reason they took a different kind of truth off the streaming services recently. I've, I found that out by accident. I was trying to listen to it, and it wasn't there. So I, I listened to it on a YouTube video, so it was cool. I did go through that today as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Van Halen, too. So what, what tracks to you kind of, like, stood out once you were going through this again? I know, like, for me, Women in Love is, is always a huge favorite. Uh, Somebody Get Me a Doctor, which that one's kind of, like, 
the you know the hit that wasn't a hit because you know Van Halen fans always go bonkers for that one and um you know I did this is this has got some really cool stuff on it so which one stood out to you yeah you know that's yeah somebody get you know somebody give me a doctor but then also you know we've been listening to so much music that a lot of times you all hear something but it also triggers another song or something else so that sure. it kind of it kind of gave me a little bit of that slow ride kind of vibe just because that you know some of the beats and I'm like okay you know yeah. And my wife's guilty of that because my wife sometimes, you know, if, if I don't have the songs turned up loud enough and she has a little bit of hearing issues, she'll hear something and she goes, oh, is this that song? She sings a totally different song. I'm like, no, but I can hear where you're getting it. <laughs> it's almost like a help. <laughs> you know, so she, she's like, you know, she's kind of like doing mashups on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this, I mean, Kale, Kale says it, man. He says, Van Halen 2, the first album is a great debut, but this one really puts it all together brilliantly. Light Up the Sky is one of my favorite Van Halen deeper cuts. Yeah, that's definitely, man, oh, man, that is, oh, God. It's so much fun going back through this stuff because I enjoy it so much, and I don't, I try not to listen to it a ton. My wife always says, you ruined Van Halen for me because you listen to it all the time. <laughs> I'm like, believe me, I don't listen to Van Halen as much as I actually want to listen to Van Halen. Same thing with Dream Theater, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, yeah, I mean, this obviously, you know, it's got Spanish Fly, which is like Eruption Part 2, but on acoustic, Um you know, like you say, you got the hits and everything. And the interesting thing to me about, or for me, I should say, about Dance the Night Away is that as much as, like, if I never heard Running with the Devil or You Really Got Me Again, I'd be bummed out if I didn't hear Dance the Night Away again. I, really? that, something about that, yeah. Something about that song is just so happy and upbeat, and it, it's just it's just a total blast. And I just, it's just the ultimate happy time song. So mm-hmm. I, I, I really it's love that poppy. one, man. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that one. So, okay. um, all right. So moving on, we get to Women and Children first, which is the first record of all original stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, the first record to feature keyboards on a Van Halen record. Did you know that factoid? Did not. Yep. So the uh, uh, any of the Van Halen people watching would know this, but um, like my nerd friends, but. Yeah, that uh, and the Cradle Rock is actually a Wurlitzer electric piano run through Ed's Ed's guitar rig. Okay. So and it's like it, if you go go and listen to that one on headphones, and then you'll you'll notice it. But e- even with headphones, you're kind of like unless you're really listening for it, it sounds pretty much guitar ish. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So um, obviously, you know, the hit on this one was "Everybody Wants Some." So we have that. So what what were your impressions of this one going back into it? Because this is this is where the catalog starts getting, you know, away from the major hits for a few records, you know, because most of the time you're thinking of Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2 in 1984. Yeah. Like I knew the first two songs and that was it. And the okay. rock, everybody wants something after that. It's like, oh, all right. I don't know any of this. <laughs> you know, like I knew two songs and that was it. So. As a whole, what 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 were your thoughts about this record? Considering that you see, this is basically kind of a fresh listen for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then of course you know, when listening to it for a second time, you know, today of going over over, over through everything, I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm, I'm appreciating it more, you know, because these are like you know they're pretty much like said new to me, you know, other than the first few songs, you know, and I'm still listening to okay, yeah, they're still doing the same thing with the mixing. I'm like, all right, they still they haven't transitioned over yet to you know, putting Eddie on both sides for everything. It's like, but it's still got that nice, you know, live raw sound. Yeah. 
and and they they branch out a little bit you know they've got you know uh um you know, could this be magic? Like, it's a little sea shanty or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they got that kind of thing going on. They got, you know, Torah Torahs, this like basically like speed punk type of thing, and mm-hmm. um, or Lost in Control, excuse me, Torah Torahs. Yeah, so, so, yeah, Lost in Control. That's when I was like, yeah. oh, okay. I'm like, they're just yeah, they, that was very yeah. they had a real punk vibe to it. I'm like, oh, I'm like, what, what's going on here? I'm like, all right, yeah. It, it's it's so weird, man. That, the, the way they did that one, it's 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 like I say, this this is like a it, it's it's interesting because. The, the way that this one goes and then we'll get to fair warning next but how diver down is such a reaction to i think this record and the next one because they do start getting kind of weird in, in spots but um a song i want to talk about in particular is one of my all-time favorite van halen songs and that is romeo delight where do you stand on romeo delight that is the know. fourth song to be honest with that you is, so yeah. it's I, that song just grooves to me. I mean, they use that as a show opener for a lot mm-hmm. of years, and it's just God. That song just goes, and it was like you know the infamous version at the US Festival where David Ross like I forgot the fucking word. Yeah, it's like yeah, that was so, funny watching that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. It, I'm like, you guys are early in your career and you're already forgetting words to your songs. He he was notorious for that man. If you go back and listen to like old bootlegs and stuff, he he's booting lyrics all the time. And even later, like on the later tours, you know, I saw I saw the, you know, the 07, the 2010, the 2012 and then the 2015 tours. And when they would play uh, Chinatown, he absolutely shit the bed on that song every time he blew the lyrics. He blew his cues like he didn't know that song at all. Wow. He oh, he was a tune, too. Yeah. It it, dude. It's yeah. It's like such a great song. And he just man, he would come in late and sing a different like. He would just scat something because he didn't do the correct words. Like it was that like, lounge singer, yeah. you know. Oh, that, see, that's that's the one thing. Like, I, man, it, it's such a tired argument, but I don't care because it's it's my show and I, I can bring up a tired argument. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the one thing. Like everybody, everybody, like all the, all these people that are, you know, the, I, I call them the Roth honks because if you go on that Van Halen news desk uh, website, vhnd.com, it's you know. The, Basically, the, the, they get their information straight from the band pretty much. And now it's obviously mostly Wolfgang stuff now that Eddie's passed. But, man, you go in those comment threads and it's a bunch of these just Roth apologists just talking about how he was always amazing. He's amazing now. He can do no wrong. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you listening to? I mean, you you can't. It's like, I mean, Van Halen's my favorite band. And I have no problem admitting that Roth is pretty shitty sometimes. And why other, why some of these like apologists can't, you know, you know, I, why they can't get on board with that? I have I have no idea. So I don't know. It's just it, it's yeah. Just I mean, after pitching. going through the catalog, I was I went on YouTube and I was just going watching some live videos and saw some of the older stuff. And they, I mean, I even saw the stuff that he did when they did the shit with Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. You know, and I and you see he was just kind of you could see where he was kind of like stepping back and doing whatever and just. You know, even when I saw the stuff that he did uh, when he took the stage with like the Foo Fighters, you could tell he just yeah he just goes with the flow and just whatever whatever comes out of his mouth, you know. Yeah, well, he's like he's he's got that attitude of, you know, he he's always said like you know Sammy puts on a great party, but I am the party, and it's like yeah, <laughs> but he's so full of himself. yeah, and d- dude, he just he doesn't care what he sounds like or what he does. He's like I'm I'm David Lee Roth, and the fans will deal fans will 
eat whatever shit sandwich I give him because I'm David Lee Roth. Like he bought into <laughs> all the press clippings about the him versus Sammy stuff, and it's just like, oh my god, it, it's just not. I mean, especially in the later years, he was he was terrible. Um, I mean, it wasn't great, you know, in his heyday. But I will say that I think people that you know really don't like Roth. They they come they, they I don't know if you've seen these comments but they're like oh he sucked even back then I'm like I wouldn't say that I mean he was he was an '80s singer a lot of those '80s guys did that goofy shit they were all drunk and coked up on stage and right you know it's, that's that's, that, that's what I could imagine what, what happened right before they before they did Lost of Control I'm thinking I can just see them all doing rails and saying all right let's go get this song <laughs> the right. and, yeah and then that's what they got they doubled the BPM on it just <laughs> a few bumps. <laughs> So Kale says, uh, women and children first. Not a huge fan of this one. I like loss of control the most. In a simple rhyme and growth more so. Inspiring the Dream Theater meta album concept between scenes from a memory and Octavarium. Yeah, that's that's very true. And then they obviously did that on a few other records. Um, I'm surprised, Kale, that loss of control is your favorite. I mean, this is a record that has, you know, like I say, Romeo Delight is just, one of the best Van Halen songs ever recorded. Take Your Whiskey Home is absolutely kick-ass. Um, did you dig that one? The one yeah. of the backs I was just talking about, Getting Drunk? That is... I love the key changes in that one. And it, it's just it's just a simple, hey, man, I got blasted, you know? Like It's, it's just <laughs> such a such a typical David Lee Roth, but it's so direct, man. I love it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, mm-hmm. Kale, I, I, will, I will agree with you. Um, in a simple rhyme, the, the, the album closer... That is a great song, George. Are you, are you into that one? I'm trying to remember which one that one was. Like I said, I mean, I pretty much shotgunned all these, you know, albums like between last week and then I <laughs> right. went through it. I mean, went through all of them today, you know, between driving to work, back to work, and doing stuff around the house before the show started. Yeah, that's the one that kind of starts out with like the the, the drums like like on the snare, like the snare rolls. He's like, back in the past, I was treated so coldly. So. Yeah, that's it's like very upbeat and catchy for this record, I think, because this is where they started to get darker. You know, mm-hmm. it's weird. And I've, I've said this on other podcasts, but like you can see when, when you when you really read the, the, the Van Halen history and, you know, like the behind the scenes of it, mm-hmm. it really comes out in the music. Like, I, you know, other other bands I've studied, like they'll say, oh, well, this period in the band's history, they were happier. They were sad. But the music stays fairly consistent with Van Halen. When you know the behind the scenes, you're just like, "Holy shit!" It's right there. It's right there to see. And I think that this one, you know, starts down that darker path as Roth and Eddie start, you know, start getting into things and start butting heads, and it really comes to a head on the next record, "Fair Warning." And I'm really interested to get your opinion on this one because you said you. you you knew it the least. You probably still know it the least. But to me, this is definitely my favorite Roth record, which is difficult for me to say because of how, how much 1984 influenced me. Mm-hmm. But this is a very dark record, and that's basically what everybody knows it as is the dark Van Halen record, especially you know with Roth. Uh, so what, what did you think of this one? Because it is kind of a left turn into some vibes that they just never were known for, never got into. Right. Yeah. And on this one, I, I knew Mean Streets and, and of course, Unchained. I mean, who doesn't know yep. Unchained? Yeah. I mean, that's right. fucking epic. Yep. But yeah, when I realized I looked at the cover, I'm like, well, I don't remember this cover, you know, but I just, like I said, two songs. But um, yeah, no, I I dug it. Yeah. The one that, the other one that, that um, kind of stuck out was So This Is Love. Okay. Yeah. You know, to me, out of, out of all the songs, I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, 
But I mean, I, I had to like laugh as I'm going through these on Spotify. I'm just like, wow, I'm like all these albums, they're all a half hour long. That's it, 30 minutes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. holy shit. I mean, they were all short albums. Yep. It, it, it's, it's funny because I told my wife, like, we just bought a house about a half a year ago. And, you know, I'm, it's finally, I'm into the whole got to mow the lawn thing. And we don't have a huge yard because most of the front yard's taken up by a vegetable garden. And, I, I, I realized that I could literally get my entire front yard and backyard and the trimming done in the space of time that it takes to get through one David Lee Roth album, maybe plus one song. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I'm like, all right, so that's a pretty short you know, period of time to mow. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Todd Gatchel says push comes to shove is the best solo Edward ever put to tape. Man, Todd, that is a man. OK, so. I know Todd that you're a big hop for teacher guy. So are you, are you are you saying that push comes to shove is a better solo than hot for teacher? So let's just use that as an example. I mean Panama would be up there for everybody obviously. Um god there's so many. I mean push comes to shove is great though. It's also like so where where do you Oh there he is. He says by a mile. No <laughs> shit. Wow. Well, I mean, it, admittedly, Todd, like the the Hot for Teacher solo is is basically what made me want to be a rock star. Like, I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen when I saw that him walking down that table doing the solo in the Hot for Teacher video. So I mean, you I'm, didn't I'm, have to see that video, dude. Come on. I know. Like, I, I was like, man, like, I saw the I saw the Panama vi- like basically when I discovered Van Halen, I was like, holy shit, I love this. This is amazing. And then when I saw the Panama video, I was like, okay, I want to do that. Like, I, I'm so into this. Like, I want to play music. Like, I want to make people feel how I feel now. Well, then when I saw the Hot for Teacher video, I was like, okay, I want to be Eddie Van Halen. I want to be a rock star just shredding electric guitar. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it was the first video by Van Halen that I've ever seen. Was it? Yeah, it was. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, mine mine was Panama. It was kind of interesting. Like, when my family first hooked up cable in 1984, the very first thing I did was turn on MTV to make sure we had it. And the first video that popped up was Panama. It just blew my mind. I was like, yes, it's meant to be. <laughs> well, shit. I mean, my, my introduction to music videos was uh, before I even moved into the Burbs. It's a show, I think, called Friday Night Videos. And yeah. It didn't come on to like, late. You know, you have yep. maybe an hour of videos and stuff like that before. I mean, predates, like, MTV. I, I, I saw that. I saw videos on that before MTV. Yeah. All right. So, Kale McLeish is bringing up the song I wanted to bring up. Hear About It Later is absolutely my favorite here, simply because of the intro. That clean guitar tone alone is joy, but I love that melody so much. Kale, we don't always agree on this show, but we are agreeing 150% here. Hear About It Later is my favorite David Lee Roth era song, uh, followed closely by, I, I might have to say, Top Jimmy. So, um, But yeah, Hear About It Later, dude, like... Are you familiar with that? That it's it's on the you know, it's track four. Okay. So, but this one is just I I think I think it's like one of the most criminally underrated Van Halen songs because people just do not do not talk about it nearly enough and it's just got such a killer melody and I I think it actually plays into my love of a song on a different kind of truth that I'll mention when we get to that record. There's a song in there that I just. I go bonkers for, and I think it's one of the best Van Halen songs ever on that record too. But in listening back to that song today, I realize it's kind of similar to hear about it later. 
and you know and hear about it later is kind of one of the more upbeat moments on this album you've got that and you've got you know so this is love so what are your thoughts on the on the different vibes like you know are you more do you more prefer the more happy time upbeat sort of stuff or are you more uh, you know are you, do you kind of prefer when they get a little dark and gritty and you know mean streets ish like what, what right. do you have a preference there no, I mean, but I like it when they, you know, when they don't just stay on one vibe, you know, they give you a little variety, kind of take you up and down a little bit, you know, yep. you know, back when people would, would plan out an album, they knew what they wanted to close the album with or whatever. Sometimes you can tell if you didn't look at the track list and make, yeah, this is going to be, this is the closing song, you know, this is the yeah. last one that they threw in before they were done. But yeah, yeah, I like a little, I like a little bit of a journey in there, you know, but you know, when it makes sense, you know, cause I mean, there's, I mean, we all have those albums that like, if you hear the song on the radio, but you know it's just the song on the radio. But you know that next, and you want you're waiting for that next one to hit. But it's the radio, so you're not going to hear that next song. You know, yeah. yeah. There's plenty of albums that I have like that. Like you know, in my head, the next song's already starting, even though it's not. You know, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, I think th- this is this is this is kind of a. I don't really want to say polarizing, but a polarizing record because I I think that's a little strong of a term, but. You know, in terms of the Van Halen fan base, like the hardcore Van Halen fans, you know, I think I think Todd can can speak to this as well. Um, the hardcore Van Halen fans really gravitate towards this record, whereas the more casual fans, this is this is the record that I mean, it's you know, it's the least successful of the Roth albums. Um, and so like the more casual Van Halen fans kind of they, they don't like this one because they're they're They want their beautiful girls, you know, they want their jump and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there's none of that to be found here, almost none anyway. Right. And so, I, you know, I fall into the camp of this record being absolutely brilliant. And it's it's always funny to me because something interesting about this album to me is that it gets really weird because you've got the first side, you know, the, the first four or five songs are straight up tunes. Well, then all of a sudden you've got this weird reggae thing. You're like, what the hell is that? Then you got so this is love, which is like kind of like you know that shuffle type of type of thing, and and then you've got you know Sunday afternoon in the park, the synth thing, and and then one foot out the door, like so really a good like you know thirty five percent of this album is really weird. So, but I think it's cool in, the, in its originality. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, Todd, Todd does agree. I figured he would. Uh, he says agreed. This is the one. However, a different kind of truth is a close damn second. See, see, me and Todd are, are quickly becoming best friends here. I, I don't know, but I, I don't know, I don't know about close second, Todd. But Brian and I, uh, uh, my co-host, my he he hates that record, and I'm, we're going to do an episode about that because I'm just going to skewer him for that. I don't, I do not understand why he hates it. But um, so anyway, as I mentioned earlier, I think as you see Van Halen start going down the dark path, you know, it starts on, you know, not to make a Star Wars reference, um, it starts on women and children first. And then definitely is on full display, you know, for for fair warning. You know, Eddie was pissed off. He's considering quitting the band and all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden, you get the next record, which is Diver Down. And this really was Ted Templeman and David Lee Roth kind of going, look, you know, Van Halen fans don't want to hear morose, pissed off Van Halen. They want to, you know, drive down the street in their convertible with, you know, hot chicks around them and stuff like that. And so, like, we need to go back to the fun stuff, this, that, and the other. And because, you know, there wasn't, like, a huge hit on Women and Children First and Fair Warning, they're like, all right, we need a hit. So they went back to the well of You Really Got Me, and they wanted to find, you know, cover tunes to try and do. 
Um, but yeah, this one, I mean, are you familiar with like the recording process on this one and how this album came came around? Because no, it's kind of an interesting no. story. I mean, I remember, I mean I know, I've always known about this album because, I mean, who doesn't know that cover, mm-hmm. you know? But no, I don't, I don't know the story behind it. So th- this was kind of like they were tired of the album tour, album tour, album tour kind of cycle, and they wanted a break to take some time to really craft some great songs, really take their time on a record because they had done the you know at least the first three pretty quickly. I mean, they took a little bit more time on on Fair Warning, but they didn't want to leave the public eye because they were still selling a lot of records and a lot of concert tickets. So to you know keep the public interest and say hey we're still here, they decided they're just going to do a cover uh, and put out like a single. And originally, from what I understand, they wanted you know Dave wanted to do Dancing in the Streets, and Ed, Eddie couldn't get anything with the with the riff going. And so he's like, "What about Pretty Woman by Roy Roy by Roy Orbison?" And so they did it, and then all of a sudden it blew up on radio, and everybody's like, "Holy shit!" So the label's like, "Okay, we need a new Van Halen record," and they're like, "God damn it!" <laughs> so. <laughs> So they had to go in, and and, and this was uh, the the first four were in Sunset Sound, and then this one was Amigo, Amigo Studios, and they had to rush out an album, you know, which is kind of another reason why there's a lot of covers on this one because they had to get it out so quickly. But um, where where do you stand on this one? Because this is another one like fans either kind of really like it or really don't like it, and it I mean it is kind of with all the cover songs, it's kind of mm-hmm. it, it's it's really like the it, you know if if. Fair warning is dark, then Diver Down is light. So what do you think about this one? Right. Yeah, this one, yeah, like I said, this was what I would consider the fluff album, you know. Okay. With That's all, a good with, assessment. You know, with all the with all the covers, this is where, you know, this is where the lounge singer really shines because like, hey, I'm getting <laughs> to do all the cover songs, you know. And, right. You know, I wouldn't call it a, a bad album, but it's just, yeah, I mean, but it was so many covers, you know, like it's majority covers. But, I mean, I, I didn't hate it. You know, I still dug it, you know, because I mean, I always dig, you know, when a band will, will do a cover. And it's funny because like. As you get older and, and listen to other bands, like you go back and go, holy shit, I didn't know that this band that I liked back in the day that that song was a cover. I did that with Metallica with all these some of these songs because they were kind of obscure. You know, and you didn't know they were covers, yeah. you know, you know, I, I do that with my wife, like, you know, that, you know, she'll, you know, say, oh, here's the song. OK, yeah, you know, that's a cover. Really? I'm like, yeah. You know, but, you know, I didn't have the musical knowledge back then to know, you know, that some of these songs, I mean, this was kind of like almost like the equivalent of the Red Hot Chili Peppers under the covers album, except for this one had okay. originals on it. Yeah. Okay. You know. So Logan I mean, Brandon. I, I dig a good cover. Don't get me wrong. I, I dig a good cover. I didn't think it was a shit album. You the, know. The, the thing to me about the covers was like. I mean, I learned years later how many covers were on this, but I, I think at that point, David Lee Roth had gotten weird. Like weird enough, like you, you were familiar enough with his personality where I thought he wrote this stuff, you know, as a kid. I'm like, I could see David Lee Roth writing Big Bad Bill and, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it's like, you know, so it was that was interesting to me because I was like, wow, these are these are covers. OK, um, mm-hmm. Logan Brannigan says, I'm not a huge fan of Diver Down, but it still has some good stuff. It's home to some really cool instrumentals. Yes, definitely agree. Secrets has some great amazing like shimmery guitar tones obviously cathedrals on here you know any guitar player worth the salt knows cathedral yeah cathedral's pretty um, cool so that's badass um and little guitars yeah dude, okay, see K- kale man he, he's getting on my good side he, he must have some bad takes on something we, we're doing coming up because he's i think he's trying to butter me up here he says all right diver down man there's some real clunkers here 
That said, Hang 'em High is hugely cool, but Little Guitars, including the intro, is actually one of my favorite songs of them all. It, dude, Kale, same here. This uh, Little Guitars is a huge standout for me. I love it, man. I absolutely love that song. It's definitely one of their best. And again, I think it's a little underrated. I, you know, I think like the, you know, the casual fans don't really talk about that song enough because it's just so, so catchy and upbeat, and it's like the total happy time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty Gatchel says, "Fun record. Little guitars is great. The full bug is a banger. Jan Van Halen getting on a Van Halen record is cool too. So yeah, did you know that little factoid that the clarinet player on Big Bad Bill was uh, Eddie and Al's dad? Mm-mm. Yep, and he and he was missing a finger. <laughs> so yeah, he was uh, he actually was playing clarinet. If I remember right, it was without his was it his pinky? This would be some great Van Halen trivia. I should know it." I forget if it's his pinky or his or his ring finger. One one of the two. If any of you guys in, in the, any of you guys in the chat know that, let me know. I've, I'm drawing a blank. Like as missing to which the finger. entire but, finger, or yeah, yeah. He he Not basically like couldn't play. Was just missing a knuckle, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> no, he he couldn't he couldn't play the clarinet with it, so he he hadn't played in a bit, and so they they got him on there, and they were just in a room jamming on it, so it was pretty hmm. cool. Um, yeah, this is you know this is a good record. Again, I don't I don't think there's a bad Van Halen record. Um, I think if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm ranking the Roth records, this one would be lower down. Mm-hmm. But again, I think, like you said, it's, it's just because of the covers. And also it's like you said, it's very, very short. I mean, the other records are, it's still, yeah, this one's still 30. It's, it's what? Yeah. 31 minutes. So we're still in the 30 minute time frame. Every, every record up to this point have all been like 30, 31, 32 minutes. Yeah. But, but this one has more tracks. So it feels like everything's like even the songs themselves are kind of short, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas at least before, right. you know, like it's, you know, the songs were a little bit longer. It felt like there's a little more meat on the bone, I guess, is, mm-hmm. is a way to phrase it. Uh, yeah, I, I would say out of all the songs that are on here for me, I would say that uh, "Dancing in the Streets" was the that was the corniest one that was on that album. If you ask yeah. me. Yeah, Todd says I didn't know that about the finger. Cool, I learned stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we do here we're, we're we're morons on talking into infinity but we do educate here and there so um yeah well i mean dancing in the streets basically eddie was working on that that key pattern for something of his own and mm-hmm. roth roth heard it and was like no nah, man we can use that for dancing in the streets so that's why eddie like hates that song because they basically stole an original riff of his to glue it onto the song he didn't want to do in the first place so that was kind of you know all right so let's move on to the album that turned Eddie Van Halen into basically, you know, the master of his own, you know, master of his own fate. The record that he first, the first record he recorded at his home studio, 5150. And as we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, basically me and you discovered Van Halen through this record. That is, of course, uh, 1984. And uh, dude, talk a little bit about this record. You know, give, give your, impressions of it because obviously you, you have a lot of familiarity with this right well i mean being that this was my you know my intro um it's it's always been my favorite so it's almost like that you know that that first child or whatever it's just like this is my intro to van halen i know all these songs that you know front to back i love the album front to back you know everything on there i mean being a drummer i just love listening to alex and what he does in the songs and you know i mean i remember just you know the first time i heard hot for teacher and i'm like wait how the hell is he doing that you know, it's like, holy shit. It's like, I don't, I, I couldn't replicate it. I tried. 
I mean, right. I used to put my headset on and just I would jam to you know, I would jam to the record. I mean, I loved it, you know. But I mean, for not for me, it's a phenomenal album. Just because, like I said, it was my intro and it just stuck with me because I was like, holy, you know, it's not like that drug. Like, oh, I got something really good. You know, it's like, you know, I, I love every track on this album, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and of course, you know, now, and this is, this is when they decided to, they got away from the old mixing. So now they got Eddie on both sides. Everything's in stereo. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love the sound of it. You know, like yeah, said, this, from, that, from that first hit, it's like, oh, wow. It's like, you, it's just, it's got this really full sound to it. Yeah, it's it's definitely the most mature, I think, of you know the Roth records. Obviously, yes, and, it's more um, forward. Like it, it's it's you know it's less of it's less of David Lee Roth the party animal. This is more you know David Lee Roth the rock star. This is like more you know like this is like straight up. We're gonna hit you hard with you know some really good in your face rock. Yeah, totally agree. It's 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 funny you mentioned you know the Hot for Teacher intro because. Again, you know, Ted Templeman says in his book, and I, I could never hear it until he actually explained it, but that intro is uh, actually... Is it Lamborghini? Yeah. Alex's it was Lamborghini mixed it was, in? Yes. It was Eddie, Eddie's Lamborghini, and they, he recorded the tailpipe of it, like just, you know, idling. And Ted Templeman and Don Landy had to go meticulously and blend it with Alex's drums to get it to, to be on the right time. It's like holy shit, man! Yeah, like, watching that little doc, I was like, "Oh, really?" I'm like, "No wonder it's you know." Yeah, and it's funny because I was I saw something on Facebook a reel, and it's this guy on his motorcycle, and it's like, "Yeah, if you know, you know." And this guy's you know his his motorcycle is running. I go, this sounds like hot for teacher, but then it went it cut over to like like I think Meshuggah, I think Bleed or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> right. I go, no, dude, that's that's definitely hot for teacher. But yeah, that's hot for that teacher, same. bro. <laughs> yeah, but I see how they they related it to that Meshuggah, but I was like. No, but anybody, you know, anybody who knows, I'm like, no, that's the first thing you think of is hot for teacher before anything else. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was going to I was going to ask you and we'll keep talking about the record. But I mean, you're a drummer. Mm -hmm. So and you just mentioned Alex is playing on hot for teacher and stuff. But, you know, I wanted to ask you this earlier. Talk a little bit about Alex as a drummer, because I play drums myself. I'm not this. You know, it's not my main instrument. Obviously, I sing. But, you know, I've played drums for a lot of years and there's certain drummers where they're kind of difficult to replicate and i think that alex is one of them because mm. he he does some stuff that just absolutely grooves that's just a natural part of his style that's really difficult to replicate so i mean for you as a drummer like talk a little bit about him and how unique his style is in a lot of spots right i mean so a lot of times you just listen to stuff and he does he just has a straightforward groove and i'm thinking okay yeah i mean that's why you know you dig it but until you actually sit down and really listen to it and try to play along to it then you realize holy crap you know just like uh, i mean I, I showed you that video when i was trying to try out for that van halen band i'm like i yeah. didn't realize i'm like like amsterdam i didn't realize how difficult yeah. the intro was i'm like yeah holy crap what's he doing and until i had a chance to sit down and analyze it and watch other people play it on youtube I'm like no this dude he's got some stuff in his back pocket that's just sick you know yeah. some of the stuff that he does with his syncopations and all that, and you're, you're listening. I'm like, okay, because he goes into this groove where you know he starts going double bass, but then he's riding on the ride cymbal and throwing out little patterns, kind of like you know, a la Neil Peart, where he's just got these little accents here and there. And I'm like, you yep. know, and then I'm, I'm like, when I was listening today, I'm like, I'm listening, going down, and he's you know he's grooving on that double bass, he's hitting on that ride cymbal, but then he's going back and forth between the snare and the toms, and he's I'm like, oh, I'm like I'd have to listen back a couple times, like how could you know, like wow, I'm like how you know, and he just 
offshoots. Everyone's like, wait a minute. I mean, he's playing something. Then he'll just throw a little ping, ping. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, yeah. I was like, holy shit. I mean, it's it's almost kind of like when you're trying to dissect, you know, um, like a tool song. Because, I mean, the shit that, you know, he does, it's like, holy crap, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he has a lot of stuff that's just straightforward. But then he's got some stuff that's, like, pretty intricate. That's like, holy shit. And, you know, as a musician, like, that's, you know, that's badass. You know, when you listen to it, and you're like, you want to try to replicate it. And you're like, wow. It's like, I want to go look up, like, I would love to see, like, drum cam footage of him playing to see how does he do that. <laughs> right. So yeah. I do that a lot. I look up a song like, hey, is there drum cam footage? I mean, like, yeah, you'll find a lot of guys covering it and you don't know if they're doing it right. But I wanted to see, like, you know, I would love to see him, you know, and that's how I am a lot of times at concerts. If I'm like, if I'm in a small venue showing them up front, I'm watching the drummer most of the time. Nine times out of 10, if they got a really cool drummer, I'm usually watching him more than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I think dude, his, like I like I said his style, you used the perfect word. It's it's the syncopation that he that he gets into. Like he mm-hmm. does some really unique stuff and again, like you said, like it sounds straight up, but then if you have to sit down and learn it, it's really messed up. I mean, listen you know, to the House of Pain. Just in the beginning of that, it's like Yeah. Wait, I'm like what's going you you're you're off trying to find that groove and then then it then it hits. Yep. You know, yep. it's like it, it feels like everything's off and then it then it comes then it lines back up again. Yep. Well, even even something as simple as like Panama, like he's like doing a da-da-da, but then there's all the stuff in between the, the you know the downbeats, like you know the hits. It's like, what the hell, man? Like mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Johan uh, Alexanderson says it. He's like, hot for teacher is hard to beat. To be honest, like yeah, well, I mean, he's doing that, but with his right yeah. hand on the right, he's he's doing triples. Like, but yeah, then he's yeah, he's just know? like yeah, he's doing those little triplets on there. It's like just riding on that ride. So I'm like yeah, like the don't bass up. That's not that's just that's that. What they called the you know, the Alex Van Halen shuffle because it was just that yes it's not straight up double bass but it's yeah it's just a little bit of he's, he's galloping basically yeah but then he's doing you know he's got the doubles there but he's got the you know he's got the triplets on the on the ride but yeah all right I mean, so you, I would you, say you, for and for me um the real like grungy dark want to punch you in the face song we drop dead legs I just love the groove that's not just like yeah it's like you know right that's I, I will say, kind of like I, I, you know, was a little controversial with ain't talking about love. I love Drop Dead Legs. I'm with you. I love the entire record. There's not a bad mm-hmm. second on this record. No, not I, at all. I, there's no, there's no clunkers on this album for sure. Yeah, I, I, I really like Drop Dead Legs. Don't get me wrong, but by the same token, I'm also kind of like, you know, everybody. Like it seems like the diehards really go bonkers for that song, and I'm thinking, dude, where's the love for Top Jimmy? Like that mm-hmm. song just is amazing. And it, it, it never it gets talked about, man. It never ever gets talked about. And I mean Drop Dead Legs is great. And you're right. I mean, that groove is and I just love that outro solo. Like how he rides like when he goes like it's just this obnoxious like mm-hmm. grabbing the guitar and just kind of like it sounds like he's fighting it. Like it's just so mm-hmm. badass. Um Yeah, th- this record is is just you know, I, I think back all the time and it's like, you know, as a as an eight year old kid who's never heard rock music before, it's it's not difficult to go back and, and understand why this grabbed me the way that it did, you know, mm-hmm. especially then seeing the videos. Because, I mean, the songs themselves were, were what did it to me. 
But then to see what the band looked like, you're just like, oh my god! Like seeing Eddie Van Halen's guitar for the first time. Like mm-hmm. I've said it a million times. Like for me, it was like this when I was a little kid, and it will forever be like this for me. There are only there are two bastions of cool in my in my life that will never be topped. It's Eddie and the Frankenstrat and Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. That just <laughs> I just like you know it, they, they both the first time I saw them, it, it blew my mind. I was like, there's nothing right. freaking cooler than right. that. And but yeah, I mean, th- this album is just, and you want to talk about ear candy. I mean, this is one where if you if you listen to this with some headphones on, man, like you can hear some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I and I know, you know, again, having done research, I'm sure the documentary that we're talking about will will mention that. For, and by the way, for those of you guys that don't know, there's a guy. I want to say that the YouTube channel is called the Tapes Archive. Yeah, but if mm-hmm. but it, okay, I'm glad I got that right. So I'm not yeah. directing people to the wrong place. Um, <laughs> But yeah, th- this guy he's he's a fan, but he did this five-part documentary about 1984, and I, he, he the first two parts are out, correct? Uh, the, the, yeah, the, the first two one, parts are out. I think the next one drops either today or tomorrow. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, but anyways, guys, like, and I I study all kinds of Van Halen shit. Like, I literally like I don't know if I've told the story on on the show before, but I I listen to so much Van Halen, so many audio books, and I've read so many interviews that. One of those new books I, I, that came, I, I want to say it was called Eruption, came out last year or the year before. I got the audio book, and it's like 10 hours long, and I literally counted about 15 minutes worth of stuff that I didn't know. So it's like I study everything. And this 1984 documentary by this dude who does the tapes archive, holy shit, there's a ton of stuff I did not know. So I, yeah, It's I, really, I, really good. I, I, I've enjoyed, I'm, I'm probably going to go back through and watch the first two again. Yeah, it just, it's just yeah, just the stuff that you learned on this. Like, holy crap, you know, yep. it's it's pretty cool. I, I love, I'm a big fan of, of documentaries. I love getting behind I, the scenes too. stuff and yep, learning all the, you know, I'm the guy, I'm the guy that's got the DVD and I, I like to watch all the behind the scenes stuff. You know, what went yep. into this? You know, yep. I, it's it's funny because like. I, I'm such a nerd for that that uh, my brother and I we host a Star Wars podcast and we, the first Star Wars trivia contest that we entered, we end up winning on the last question of the final round because it was like worth a whole bunch of points because it was a category only about behind the scenes <laughs> and you hear the you hear the you hear the whole room just go oh man and my brother goes yes and i'm like yeah and some guy around behind us goes why are you celebrating that and aj goes my brother watches nothing but the damn behind the scenes so sure enough you know like the, the winning question that nobody got i think i think people got one and I got all four was they gave you four Star Wars planets and you had to tell them what what continent or what country, you know, on Earth it was it was recorded on or filmed on. So it was like, you know, obviously everybody knows Tunisia with Tatooine, but they had three others. And people were like, what the hell? And I, I had them all. So, you yeah, I, I'm with. Oh, dude, I please. I, well, I'm, I, I, while we're off topic for a second here, I mean, there was that one because uh, I was watching on Disney Plus of a. Uh, like the making of with the Mandalorian, and I, I was watching yeah. all the little things. But I tell you what, of all the episodes that were on for that, the one about the sound design and the scoring, <laughs> yeah, my favorite episode. Yeah, Dude, I, all that stuff. That I I love that they're doing that on Disney Plus because it's like the shows are so damn good, and it's like I, I see I, you're speaking my language because it's like okay. The show is so damn good. Now we also get a behind the scenes of it. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you you just can't beat that. So right. Um, but no. But yeah. back, um, and then back to eighty four. Before we leave this one, uh, since you were talking about Top Jimmy, I love the middle, the breakdown into the solo. How just the vibe changes. It just slows down and just gets yep. chunky. And you know, before they go back and speed it back up again, that's like my 
I just, I love how they went and did that. It's like, oh, they slowed it down, just got real chunky. And, you know, then he's just wailing around. And then, okay, we're going to slowly kind of start picking it back up again and going back to that high speed that where we were. It was just, I yeah. love it. Yep. Uh, Kale, Kale's talking about that too. He says, Top Jimmy is gold. It's strange that no one talks about it. There are some moments in that solo that he never really topped for me. Yeah, I mean, Kale, you're right. The solo is killer. And, and George, you, you bring up a great point because it's like, it, it, it's basically like, you know, they went back to that well on the 5150 album for the verses of the title track, 5150. And that's one of my all time favorite Van Halen songs, you know, for that reason. And, you know, that, you know, that that part you're you're dead right when it goes into the solo and Alex's drums like you know it's just it's so guttural and tribal and big and you know but like I said the whole record is amazing and it you know I mean the hits notwithstanding like I don't mind listening to Jump and I think for me it's because that was where my little kid ear first discovered Van Halen right and I I always have that feeling of holy shit. And then Panama just kicks it in. Then Top Jimmy, like I just, I, I still, I still get all the vibes that I got when I was eight years old discovering the record, which is cool. Like, right, right. The, the memories are so visceral. So I think that's why this record is always so enjoyable for me. Yeah. And even, even the quote unquote like low spots of which there are barely any, you know, like I'll wait. I'm sure people would say, okay, whatever. Um, some people I have heard that say, too. Hey, dude, I, I love them all. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like how do? That's what I'm saying. It's like this record's like. The songs on this record are like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's good. And, and there's not, you know, there's there's not a bad song on this album. And you know, so Kale had a he he has a controversial take here. He says my controversial take for this album is that I prefer the original demo of House of Pain from before the debut album. It tied in with Running with the Devil, and it was just a total banger. Um, have you have you heard the original version? Of this I don't one? think I've heard. No, I don't think I had. Okay, yeah, it's I, Kale. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I think that one's able to be found on the Gene Simmons demo. Um, I Kale, I, I hmm, I don't know which one I prefer because the one on the album is shorter. It's a little more concise. Um, and I, I and it also you know what I think is cool about this one, George, is that it's kind of like the opposite of Top Jimmy, where it's fast and then a slow solo. But House of Pain is kind of like a slow jam, and then it gets into that boogie for the solo. Mm-hmm. which is cool you know they you know i love i love that aspect of it um yeah but the album version's shorter a little more concise the gene simmons one is longer and kind of more all over the place but it's got some really interesting stuff in there so yeah i mean if you if you haven't heard that uh george just look up on youtube look up the van halen the gene yeah, simmons I, I, like, I, I have homework after this yeah absolutely yeah it's now and, i want to hear that yeah, and what's really cool is you'll hear a bunch of stuff that they pilfered on later records, including stuff you know, like you, you get stuff you know for you know the next record that we're going to talk about, different mm-hmm. kind of truth. But yeah, I mean this this record, man, I'm with you. This is like pretty much a perfect record, and oh man, you know. And I think it was, and I think it might be the last of the half hour albums. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, because after this you get into the Sammy stuff where yeah, you know, fifty one fifty was forty three minutes, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, after that, you know, Eddie, Eddie was free to kind of explore a different kind of songwriting. You know, he was able to, you know, he wasn't, you know, Roth wanted these pop hits and he wanted, you know, you know, the label was like, we got to have more. You really got me. We got to have more Panama, you know, whatever. And and he's like, nah, man, I'm just going to write a shitload of good songs. And I mean, I I think, you know, I can only imagine what's in the archives that we haven't heard that are sitting in there. Man, you know what? I I don't know if you read read that, but you know I love that they're finally remastering the Sammy records. 
I mean, that is so overdue. But then I think it was, uh, I think it was Sammy said it. I'm trying to remember if it was Sammy or Wolfgang, but pretty sure it was Sammy that he said that there's actually some stuff in the vaults, and we've been told for years that there was not. That pretty much what, what you, you know, see bullshit. As much as he, I mean, if you got your own studio, just like Vi and all these other guys, they have stuff that's in the vaults. I mean, I heard that Vi's had something that it was been sitting in the vaults that. He didn't let out, but he's going to be, I think, releasing soon or release. I mean, they, these guys always have stuff in the vaults. Yeah. If you got your own home studio, you know you've got all kinds of stuff just sitting there. I, I think they're probably referring to completed stuff mm-hmm. because, obviously, I mean, Eddie's famous for having, like, thousands of hours of just jamming. Um, I mean, there's there's YouTube there's YouTube. Dude, I, would dig, I would dig an album like that, you know, just like the one-offs, just like the demo sessions, you know. Like I've 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 have a couple albums that came out. They've re-released and remastered it, and then gave you a second disc of like all the demos. Yeah. Oh, like, 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 Motley Crue one did that. You know, I got to hear demos on that. Pantera yeah. did that with demos. And it's like, oh wow, I'm like you hear a totally different solo that Dime did. And you're like you're like, well, yeah. I'm glad you did what he did. You know, and I have a you know I've had that with Metallica stuff too. You get the demos. I'm like, oh, you see where they, you know, when he didn't even have lyrics or just you have a different riff or a different solo and. Yep. To see where something came from is kind of cool too. Yeah, I agree. They Anthrax did that. I know, like the one that I really dug was uh, the one for State of Euphoria, which is I know not everybody's favorite record, but I I love it. Um, oh, I love that album. Yeah, I, we started dude, with fucking Charlie Benante. Okay, dude, I I wish like total side like very quick side. I wish that album would have had better production because it you, it's the crappiest sounding of the of the early Joey stuff, and it's like oh god, mm-hmm. if that thing just sounded a little better, but um, so. Okay, uh, Johan Alexanderson says that Vi released that album you're talking about earlier this year. He'd been holding on to it for 30 years, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think Ron then, was telling me about that album, so I wasn't sure if it was out yet or not. And then I have to answer a Star Wars question. Kale, uh, he says, where is Hoth on Earth? I'm sure you know this, but it is Norway. That was actually one of the countries, and surprisingly not a lot of Star Wars nerds knew it. Um, the other two, Kale, were uh, where was Mustafar filmed? And where was Yavin 4 filmed? So let's see if you know those, Kale. And don't be Googling it either, because I didn't have a Google to use. <laughs> I knew it off the top of my head. So, uh, <laughs> Kale, he says, Metallica demos? Oh, you mean the Wanana tracks? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, lo- I love that Het put those in there. Like the the, 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 the scratch vocal was just Wanana, na, na. Like, that was cool. Yeah, it's funny because I, I always joke with my wife about that because, like, when we would play Guitar Hero, she, that, that's what she would do when she would sing along to a song she didn't know the lyrics or whatever and i go you know what i go metallica did that and i, I play her one of the demos i'm like he did the same thing you know when they were, couldn't figure out lyrics so yep yeah the trick is all this time i guess so. <laughs> all right all right before we get to the next record to close out the show here kale he has no idea of those two planets so kale uh mustafar was italy it, they were filming the eruption of a volcano and that was what a whole bunch of the background footage was of all the fire and all that crap. And then uh, Yavin 4 was Guatemala. That's the one that really threw everybody for a loop. Everyone's like, really? Even my brother's like, how the hell did you know that? And I was like, well, I can't call myself a Star Wars nerd if I don't know stuff like that. Yeah, because so. you're, yeah, you're a nerd. I need my cred. <laughs> so, right? You got yeah. that nerd cred. So there it is. All right. So we go from 1984. We fast forward 28 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, God, really? To, it was 28 years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and dude, and I mean, I'll just say it flat out because this is this was my opinion on it when it came out, and I still stand by this. I think it's one of the best comeback records for a legacy band that I, I think I've ever heard. 
I was I was so nervous about it because it's like you don't want your favorite band to come out and just take a shit mm. after you know, especially after all that time and it's like, oh my god, like ugh, you know, it's it had been fourteen years since we got a record and you know, the one we got was Van Halen three, which a lot of people could not stand. So you're just like, okay, what do we got? You know, we knew Eddie. That's exactly up, so- my attitude when I went into it. I'm like, okay, what? You know, it's like, ah, all right. You know, like the hype is already over. I'm like, okay, what's what are we gonna get here? Yeah. Okay. So, your initial reaction to a different kind of truth. Okay. So the way I saw it after listening to that, the initial reaction before I, I tell you the little story is that I heard tattoo and I'm like, this is kind of fucking corny, dude. I don't, I don't know if I want to hear the rest of this album. But, I'm the you know, only like, person on the planet who actually enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm like, are they serious with this fucking song right now? I'm like, where's this going? Because you know, like, you got, right. you got the deal, you got the, you know, so you got the timelines. You know, you got David Lee Roth era, then they get Sammy, so they split her off over here, and then you know, you've got that little one-off, you know, with Gary Sharon, and then to me, when I listen to this album, it's like, okay, this is. It sounded like where they would they, they picked up where they would have left off if this would have been like the next couple albums after '84. Yeah, like if you know if if you know if you never would have heard '51, '50, oh yeah, one two and all that. Then, you know, I this is you know some of the songs I hear are what I would imagine would have came after 1984. Yeah, you know, but then you know, like I said, I, re- I remember the first time it came out because Ron's like, "Hey man, did you hear you know Van Halen? They, they got they got you know they got David Lee Roth back. They did an album like." I don't know. I just I wasn't excited. So then he had he let me borrow it, and that's who I, that's how I got the tracks again. I said, "Hey, I go. I know you have this album." Like so, he dropboxed them to me, and I put them on my on my server so I can listen to them. Right. But yeah, tattoo was just like I mean, I don't know. It just to me, it just, it, it just comes off like a, it's just a corny song. Like, hey, let's just throw something out there. And I'm like, it just sounded corny to me. But after that, I mean, I, I you know I listened to it, and then I listened to it again today. I'm like, it's it's a good album. You know, I, I dig Chinatown. I yeah. dig that fucking tune. Um, and then, you know, I had, a, you know, and Bullethead kind of made me a little chuckle. Just, you know, the fuck Bullethead? I'm like, all right, whatever. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of those really old ones. Yeah. That's and then, and then Stay Frosty, well for. you know, I, I, I for some reason, I really dig. I really dig Stay Frosty on there. Well, I think I, I well, you, I hate to correct you, but you're uh, the song title you're looking for is Ice Cream Man, I believe. Uh, oh, so, oh, sorry. Stay frosty. That's my only complaint about that. I'm like, geez, oh, Pete's. Could this be any more of a ice cream man ripoff? Like, right, right. Like, Dave, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on tattoo. Like, I have to admit, like, I, I liked the song when it came out, but my initial reaction, like, right off the bat, I was like, oh boy, that's kind of, that's not what I was expecting. Them, t- I, I, I was expecting like all guns blazing, and I, you know, tons of people since. Have said they would have been much better off to use "She's the Woman" as the first. Yeah, they, they, this I'm shouldn't like, have been the. Yeah, this shouldn't have been the intro track for sure. Yeah, bury it down but, in, in the list a little bit, but yeah, that one shouldn't have been the one they came out swinging with. Yeah, I think, but yeah, see, Todd Todd says it in the comments. He said, "I actually love Tattoo, but She's the Woman should have been the single. Record would have been better received publicly." So, Todd, I was trying to think of that as I was listening to it today, and I I wonder about the fact of the record being better received if they had released she's the woman and the reason is is because that is a very strong song some people would argue the strongest on the record and i wonder if some people would have thought that the rest of it was a letdown compared to she's the woman and also i mean todd you could speak to this 
There are a lot of Roth honks out there that do nothing but bitch and moan about this record. It's all old stuff. All they did is rip off their old stuff. And like tons of us who've heard all the old demos and stuff like that, George, like She's the Woman is a very complete song from back in the day. And people would have gone, that's all they're doing is just rehashing the old shit. So, Todd, I really think there might have been some pretty serious backlash if She's the Woman had been the first single. I, 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 man, I wish I had, a t- I would love to have a time machine and change time and, and talk Van Halen to releasing She's the Woman as a single just to see what would have happened, you know? Um, now, do you know the story about this album? Because I don't know what, what, I mean, was it old shit that they had that they were waiting to, to put out? Um, you know, they I mean, how much of this album was old shit and how much of it was new, brand, brand new when they got, got together with him? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the, <laughs> <laughs> Todd, I love it, man. You, 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 you're speaking my language. He goes, I don't care. It was still a new Van fucking Halen album in 2012. I love everything about this record, dude. I'm, <laughs> See, that's I'm how I felt when Three came out. I'm like, hey, it's new Van Halen. I don't care if it's Gary Schroen. It's new Van Halen. Yep. Yeah, I was in the same boat, dude. And I, I was a little disappointed, but I was like, okay, there's some good stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm okay. So don't quote me on this because there's been a couple different, like piles of facts about this but wolfgang has done a lot of talking about this uh recently and he went through the album track by track i think it was either for van halen news desk or guitar world or something and i want to say let me think i know so tattoo she's the woman blood and fire bullet head i think out of space and one of either Big River or Beats work, and I think those are the ones that were based off old material. Um, I, I could be wrong on some of those songs. Yeah, well, I mean, but again, you know, fans that complain about that, it's like they did that all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they they, they were doing that stuff constantly. So, you know, I mean, hell, even the song Good Enough on 5150 was a song called, I believe it's called Donut City. For the wildlife soundtrack, you know, if you go listen to that, it was, you know, you can hear that riff right there. Um, all right, Kale says, pretty sure it's Big River. Okay, yeah, okay, I I thought so too, Kale, but I don't I don't ever want to put something out there as if I 100% know if I don't. So, um, well, except for the fact that Hendrickson's wrong about this record. Brian, you stupid asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, it is half stuff that they pulled from back in the catalog and reworked, which, but, hey, you know, I mean, if you get like six old songs and seven new ones, are you really complaining? Like Todd said, it's a new record and it sounds great. Eddie Van Halen's on goddamn fire on this record. Oh, I mean, absolutely. if you're a fan of Eddie's playing, this is like porn. I mean, that's the first after I got through the record the first time, I was like, holy shit, you know? And you know, we get like super drop tune Eddie, which is cool because the only time I'd ever really heard that was on the outro to Fire in the Hole, which was awesome. But you know, as is and Honey oh, Baby Sweetie Doll are, yeah, like. I mean, I just there's so many good songs on this, and it's, you know, I mean, Roth is is totally camped up, obviously, mm-hmm. but the but the lyrics are pretty thoughtful, which is cool. Um, I mentioned a song earlier that I kind of felt like reminded me of "Hear About It Later," that's on this record, and it's "You and Your Blues," track three. I love that song so goddamn much. And I think they would have played it live if it wasn't Roth, like just screaming at the highest possible register he can, you know, for that chorus. Because they were like, there's no way this guy's going to hit this shit live. Um, mm-hmm. I, dude, I just, that is like such a classic Van Halen, like upbeat, fun riff. You know, the, the groove is bouncing. And 
you know, and then you get the the chorus, like those classic harmonies, like ah, you know, like that big like Van Halen backing vocal to it. And I mean, this this record, man, I'm with you. This is this is a great album. Mm-hmm. And I, a bunch of my friends, you know, who are Van Halen fans, they're not really into it, and I don't understand it. I so don't. What do, you, what, do you think, what, I mean, what do you think they'll shit on more, this or or three? That's a good question. Um, I it's 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 kind of mixed. It, it's it's kind of mixed because some some of my friends, you know, they 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 they're strictly the Roth guys, so they're gonna take this one over the Sharon one. Um, but then there are some of them that are like, oh, it's half half old stuff. This is crap, you know. Um, I think my friends generally tend to side more with this one, just because you know three was really out there. I mean, it's that one really eclectic record that you're kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you get into a song like Once, I'm like, what the fuck is this? I mean. So here's my ugh. take. Like I said, we had those little branches. So, you know, you got the you got the early Roth era stuff. That's, you know, the lounge singer party guy. Then you go into the Sammy stuff, which is just straight up front rock. We're not bullshitting here. You know, and he's got his own energy. I think when Three came out, to me, when I listened to Three, because I mean I know where I mean I know where I was at when I heard that and when I was like, I mean listening to the mix and how full it was and to me it came it came off as a more like emotionally charged album just because of the way that Sharon yeah. sings yeah it was just it had a totally different vibe it had like he's got so much emotions behind it and then we come back out with that last album and it's like okay here comes you know here comes the party band they're back you know they yeah. got Roth back and now we're back to party mode. You know, yeah. so that's how I that's how I saw the different, the, you know, the different generations of it. You know, we got we got the party. Then we got we're not fucking around. We're straight up rock. Melt your face. Then, OK, we'll give you some, you know, we'll give you some like rock with some emotion. And then we're back to the party guys again. But I mean, yeah. I love that last like the, I would consider that um, the other day when I listened uh, to uh, to this last album, pretty much my first time listening to the only thing I had remembered was Tattoo. You know, okay. and so then I got to listen to him like, OK, but I can tell that this is going to be an album that I'm going to listen to a couple of times. It's going to grow on me because then when yeah. I listen to it again today, I'm like, yeah, dude, this is this is a really good album. So it's like I'm going to have to listen to a few more times and it's going to be you know, it's going to end up sticking to me because like out of all the albums, it's probably the one that I listened to the absolute least because I just, you know, when I said I heard Tattoo, I'm like, ah, I just didn't give the album a chance the first time it came out. Yeah. Just, you know, hearing that and then you can you kind of hear it in that first song, you know, in, in Tattoo, like where he's. Almost kind of struggling to hit that, you know, hit the high notes. Like he almost sounds winded. Yeah. Uh-huh. In in spots, I'm like, Bob, like, and like he sounded like he did in like in some of the live stuff when he's kind of trying to run around and try to sing. I'm like, yeah, you you don't still have it. I mean, you're good, but you still don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> know your limits, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Uh, so Kale asks, did they only ever play it? That being you and your blues for the acoustic DVD. I thought they would have played this live for sure. No, this um. I've looked into it, dude, and and you and your blues was only ever done on uh, that acoustic DVD that came with the deluxe uh, deluxe version of the album that was called, what they called it the downtown sessions. Um, so yeah, unfortunately they they didn't do it live, but yeah, I, I mean I mean this this is just such a great return to form, and I think it's uh, I, I mean I to be to be honest, I I think the record should have ended after Stay Frosty, Big River and Beats Working to me are kind of okay. Well, too too many. Mm-hmm. I just they're kind of you know th- those are the songs I'd be like yeah whatever you know on, on this uh, on this record but it's I was thinking today and it's it's kind of funny um, 
It's almost twice you as know. long as all the other albums, you know. Oh well, Talks yeah. Fifty minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, dude. I mean, Beats working is five minutes long. I mean, there there are only one, two, three songs under three minutes, and the rest of them are usually about in the four, four and a half. But mm-hmm. you know, it was it was kind of, it was kind of interesting to me, like. I, I was I was getting you know kind of emotional listening to it today. I mean, it gets to the end of the record, you know, the end of Beats Working, and I was like, man, this would be the, you know, if you would have told me in 2012 that this would be the last recorded thing I'd ever hear Eddie Van Halen do, I'd be like, really seriously? And it's interesting to me that the final lyric is, you know, that Beats Working, baby, and it's like that kind of encapsulates like it's kind of like you could see somebody seeing that when they retire from you know from a music career or like a sports career or something you look back and go well that beat working you know like it's <laughs> so i thought that was kind of an interesting you know it obviously wasn't intended to be such but mm-hmm. i thought it was kind of an interesting sentiment that you know to end end you know van halen's recorded career on and yeah i never um, looked at it there i never really, yeah i'm like yeah that's the last thing that he did you know so with van halen yeah. it was it was really sad because when i really realized that i was like i was i was you know again i was getting emotional because i'm such an enormous van eddie van halen guy but uh, yeah, again, I, I think I think this was everything I could have hoped for and more. Uh, I just you know I, I when I bought the record, I was like, okay, tattoo. I know this one. Let's let's see what comes next. And then she's the woman comes on. I was like, oh goddamn! All right, now we're talking. And then I get to you and your blues, which as I said, I love. I was like, this song is great. And then you go to Chinatown, your jam, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, what is this like? And then Blood and Fire is like a totally different vibe, but it's like that upbeat kind of, you know, little guitars, like kind of, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, then Bullethead, just a classic old school rocker. Then, let's say, As Is and Honey Baby Sweetie Doll, those two really heavy new tracks. Oh, my God. That's just so cool, man. Like to hear that, just that heavy, oh, gug, gug, gug. You know, that (laughs) Eddie Eddie Van Halen chugging is just like, holy shit, man. So, yeah, this is... This is such an underrated album to me. And I again, my co-host Brian hates it. I'm I'm going to talk about this on the show sometime. It's like you're wrong. You're just plain out fucking wrong. <laughs> this is you know, this is a great album. So Right. Let me jump right. back real quick because I, I know yeah. that you you got a hold of that live right here right now album. Yes, I did. When I was out on record store day, I, I was looking for that. I, I didn't, I couldn't find it, but I know yeah. that it's remastered. And I know it's a lot of times when people like say, "Oh, we had spit screen," you know, there's a difference between remix and remastered. Did you notice a difference? Okay, from the original uh, recording to the remastered recording, or do you not have a turntable? I'm gonna smack the shit out of you if you don't have one. I have a turntable. I, it's not mine. My wife has one because she listens to stuff on vinyl. I do not. And when I buy my vinyl, I keep it sealed. I'm kind of an idiot like that. I, I buy them as like a. Yeah, you're like, that like, like it's never been out of the box. Well, well, <laughs> well, it's it's not, it's not quite that because I'm not like. Although, admittedly, if the guy had a second one, I was going to buy a second one of that. And, and that just, thing was not cheap. Well, it was a hundred bucks. It was ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah, and I was going to buy it just to let it appreciate. I'm like, I I could buy some serious shit with this. Like, depending on when they put out the other remastered records, I could buy the rest of them with that, <laughs> that one live album. But um, yeah, no, I I actually I keep them in the in the packaging just not because i'm trying to collect or anything i just i like them pristine and i have them framed mm-hmm. on my walls so any any anything i have i just like it to be like in pristine condition and well i was curious if you listen because I, I know sometimes they, they do these remasters i sometimes it's like a money grab like yeah you really don't hear a difference the only one i heard a difference on was uh when they redid um nine inch nails okay and they came out that with that re, you know that remastered edition of uh you know that you know a pretty hate machine okay 
I know the only ever like it's sonically. I listen to like yeah, no, I hear a difference, and it's really awesome. But some of the other stuff, like, well, what what did they do? You know, like, did they really do anything? I know that the like the 2015 remasters they did on the Roth catalog there. That's what they have on Spotify is the 2015 remasters, which I'm yeah. They're they're definitely a little bit louder. Um, I think I think they're a little bit cleaner. Uh, I, I honestly I think if they if they do it right, I mean the, the real differences that we're going to hear is going to be on the Sammy catalog because when you put those things on, man, fifty one fifty and OU eight one two are quiet albums, so there's a lot of room for improvement on those. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've read reviews from people that have actually you know listened to the the remaster and they say it's pretty good. They said it's as a remaster as it goes, it, it's it's good. You know, it's a little more crisp, and it definitely like boosts the volume a little bit, and just sounds a little more spacious. So, um, but again, unfortunately, I you know, I, <laughs> so, sorry to burst your bubble there. I, I did all right. So. <laughs> yeah, look, all right, Kale. So before we get out of here, we can talk a little bit more Van Halen. We'll hit on a little bit of Sammy because that's that's the stuff that George is really familiar with. Um, me as well, obviously. Uh, Kale says, I was saving up my better takes for the hot takes with the Hagar era, and we didn't go there. I'll hit you up later with those and then probably get blocked. All right, Kale. <laughs> g- give, me, give me a hot take about the Hagar era before we jump ship here for the night. What, what, what is your Sammy Hagar hot take? If this, is, if this is really bad, yeah, you're risking getting banned from the chat here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, our, that's our show joke. George, anytime, anytime someone's like really disagreeing with 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 uh, with me in particular, we'll just joke like you're gonna get banned from the chat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, Kale Kale definitely is good for a couple shitty takes per show. But uh, <laughs> he's he's also our first listener ever and viewer, and so he's a very good friend. But um, you know, while while he's typing up his hot take, uh, oh here he goes. All right, y'all ready for this? Yes, Kale. We said we were ready. So unless you're writing a novel, let's let's do hot this. Hot take man. or hot steamy turd? <laughs> I don't know if he's gonna shit on Sammy Hagar. I, I think <laughs> it's it's gonna be a turd. I, I think. I mean, you know. I mean, I, you know. Speaking of that, I mean, Todd Gatchel said it somewhere up in the up in up in the chat. But he, you know, he talked. He was talking about the difference between. I'm trying to see if I can scroll up and find it. He was he was talking about the difference between the Roth and. Uh, you know, yeah, because here it is. Yeah, he said, I appreciate Eddie Van Halen's work, but that magic with Roth is tangible. But as of late, I've been giving a nod to the Sammy stuff and listening more, but still with those lyrics of his, ugh, he's not a Sammy lyricist fan. He says, yes, he torches Roth's vocal abilities. And I, I think, yeah, you know, that's the one thing that I will say, and I always make this argument to people that just completely shit on the Sammy stuff, like he sucks and they call him spammy and fat, you know, Ronald McDonald, all this other crap. Like, it's like, dude, if, if you, and I'm sorry, people call this gatekeeping. I don't give a shit. I can do whatever I want. It's my show. I've always felt that if you're going to disregard half of, of Eddie Van Halen's catalog, you, you're, you can't call yourself a Van Halen fan. I'm sorry. Like, I don't like Ross singing, but that didn't mean I, I went to see him live. I didn't go to. You know, I boycotted the live shows. Like, no, right. I'm going to go see him live. And I've never got to see them with Roth. I only saw him with Sammy, and that was the, on the Balance Tour. It was, yeah, I, I saw all the tours. And in 07, he was fine. 2010, you could see he was kind of eh. And then we actually went to uh, the opening night of the entire tour for A Different Kind of Truth in 2012. Uh, we went to the Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And he sounded good. I mean, it was the first night of the tour, so you'd expect he's fresh and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But I, w- I was very pleasantly surprised. 
but after that, when I saw him on subsequent, like I saw him at the Rock USA Festival in Oshkosh, Wisconsin in 2013, he was terrible. Um, and I was drunk off my ass, and I could still tell he was terrible. So let that tell you something. <laughs> uh, and then I, I saw him in 2015, and he was terrible. And obviously, all the stuff you know from the music awards and Jimmy Kimmel and all that. Like he just how anybody could listen to what he was doing and go, yeah, this you know, Ross still got it. Like he's it's like no, he he's he doesn't. He's ugh. so. All right, let's get to Kale's take, and then we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll sign off for tonight. He says. His hot take is, I've never been a fan of Cabo Wabo. Okay, yeah, that's that's kind of a turd, uh, Kale. That's a great song. Uh, <laughs> he says, there are a lot... <coughs> excuse me. There are a lot of way better songs from the Hagar albums. I'll take Mine All Mine. That one I'll give you. Source of Infection. Ooh. Dude, I love Source of Infection. Don't get me wrong. But over Cabo Wabo, no. Feels so good. So he'd, t- he'd take all those three songs off of OU812 over Cabo Wabo. Okay, Mine All Mine I'll give you. Source of Infection, no, but I love that song. OU812 is like a guilty pleasure album for me. I don't know about you, but I just think it's criminally underrated. Feels so good. I will say no, but I do love that song as well. But, man, dude, how do you not like Cabo Wabo? Is that even, <laughs> is that even possible, George? Like, what the... I, Oh my god! No, that's a, it's a great tune. It's that's a great tune. It's kind of a throwback. It's got that slower kind of you know drop dead legs kind mm-hmm. of groove to it. Yeah, and, you know what? Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, it's got that drop dead legs feel to it. He's got some really you know, and Alex has got some really cool like syncopation going on in that. You know, just like you know, just holding back and then oh, it's yeah. It's it's got great Michael Anthony harmonies in it. It's got a great solo. I mean, it's. Man, what's not to like, Kale? Good Lord. All right, his, his last take is, I'd actually take the Red Album with the rude acronym. It, the, excuse me, Kale, it's not rude. It's for unlawful carnal knowledge. That is the <laughs> album title. Uh, he said, I'll actually, take, I'll actually take for unlawful carnal knowledge over 5150 or 812. There are a lot of fans that, that will not disagree with you on that. Uh, I got asked the other night, George, what my favorite Van Halen record is, and I still don't know the answer. So if you if if you had to pick a favorite Van Halen record, are you able to do it? 1984, hands down, for me. All right, well that's good. You have you have an obvious answer. Yeah. See, see, for me, it's it's kind of like it's difficult because 1984 is the most influential record in my life. For unlawful carnal knowledge, I absolutely wore out in 1991. Oh, I love that. So, when it came out, forget it. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. It's just un- unbelievable. And for me, OU812 is like, again, it's a guilty pleasure. I think it's like really underrated, and I really love a lot of the songs. But that being said, like, I could tell you why I love Balance. I could tell you why I love 5150. You know, the Roth stuff I think would be a little bit easier because obviously Fair Warning and 1984 are at the top of those for me. But, man, it's just it, it's difficult, man, because, it, again, it's my favorite band, and I just love them, dude. So, well, anyways, man, that was that was a blast. Thank you for jumping on on two days' notice. I appreciate it. That was uh, the planets all aligned, so it all worked out. I know, right? <laughs> Thankfully, your computer decided to agree about sixty yeah, seconds yeah. before we went live. That was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was preparing to filibuster on Van Halen until you, your stuff started <laughs> working. It was yeah, like, but come on. I mean, I even I even got everything running early to make sure I got online. It's like nope, nope. <laughs> Nope. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. I should have worn my Sammy shirt. Just you know, 
There it is. There it is. But but the Dream Theater show is more appropriate for this particular. Well, that's podcast, what I think. When so. I realized what, you know, that which which podcast you were having, I said, like, "Well, okay, I'm going to wear my Dream Theater shirt." You know, this is right. more appropriate. So before I do my outro here, I have to ask you your opinion on the band we're going to be talking about in our next episode. What do you think about Sons of Apollo? I don't have a lot of experience with them. I mean, I I, I know more so of you know Winery Dogs than anything, but Sons of Apollo. I, I dig them, you know. I just don't. I I wouldn't say that I'm well versed with them. Time time to dive into them, man. You've only got and you only have three records, so that's good. The right. two studio records and the live one. So there you go. But uh, so yeah, guys, that's gonna do it again for another episode of Talking Into Infinity. Uh, George, thank you so much again for making time and coming on the show. It was a blast. I really appreciate all your awesome insight into Van Halen. That was really cool. Uh, guys, we will be back here. In two weeks, it will be Thursday, June 15th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And hopefully we're back on the CMS Network at that time if uh, Aiken doesn't get himself dinged again. Uh, <laughs> that night, we are going to be doing our album deep dive into the debut record by Sons of Apollo, Psychotic Symphony. That's what we were going to do tonight, but Brian had to go play hockey. So tune in for that one again. Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMS Network. Dot com to all you guys in the chat tonight kale mcleish todd gatchel uh man oh man johan alexanderson logan brannigan thank you guys so much for taking part in the show appreciate all y'all and uh we will see you guys on june 15th and until then everybody as usual carpe diem <laughs>